Hello, everybody. Welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast about the books we read, and maybe you should too. And back in the studio again is myself, Jaron Miller, and Regan Schrock is here as well. And he will start us off with a book that he has been reading. Yeah, so, uh, Jaron, I sent you a picture of this. And your response was really interesting. I forget exactly which emoji you sent or something, but you thought it was awesome. So the, the front of the cover is a cartoonish stick figure illustration of a T-Rex being dropped inside of a black hole. And the title is called, What If? Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions, which I think is just a lovely title. I picked this up at a used book sale. By far the most delightful book I've read in years, probably. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's written by, let's see, Randall Monroe, who is, used to work for NASA. He's a physicist, so like really smart guy. And he takes ridiculous questions that people submit on his website. Oh, you okay. All right, so the first one, all right, says, what would happen if the Earth and all terrestrial objects suddenly stopped spinning, but the atmosphere retained its velocity? I've got to know the answer to that. I know this isn't a total book summary, but what does he say? <laughs> what would happen? So first it's like, oh, whatever. But he's a physicist, right? So I'm like, we're getting into like physics. But the funny thing is he's a cartoonist. So you got these whole, I really wish you guys could see this on the podcast, but he's like, here's a map of the globe. The dark gray shaded area is terrible things will happen. And then the lighter shaded in area is terrible things will happen, but more slowly. <laughs> and it's the entire globe. Basically, what would happen? Because the Earth is spinning at, um, I forget how fast, but it's spinning very fast. Um, it is spinning at 470 meters per second, according to this guy. So if it would suddenly stop spinning, but the air was still spinning, we would have the most insane global windstorms ever and it would basically destroy civilization and the planet as we know it now that that's very dismal but it's intriguing and <laughs> fascinating at the same time and the cartoons are lighthearted. oh the cartoons are hilarious um it's like like one of the cartoons is like the sun isn't moving and then the reply is oh the earth <laughs> the earth must have stopped spinning destroying everything in a global tempest I hate when that happens. <laughs> I'll kick it and see if it starts again. So it's very lighthearted, but it's also kind of sad to think about. So the other, the, here's the crazy thing. Ultimately, what would happen, see, I love physics and, and science. Ultimately, what would happen is the moon would still be orbiting the earth, right? So the gravitational pull of the moon, eventually, it would take a while, would actually get the earth spinning again. I, I never thought of that. Never crossed my mind before, too. So there's a fast fact for you. Second one. This one's called Relativistic Baseball. What would happen if you tried to hit a baseball pitched at 90% the speed of light? That is awfully fast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, this is just, oh, this just is insane. It's over, it's over uh, 600 million miles per hour for perspective. So, yeah, it's, it's moving. Basically, what would happen is it would vaporize the atmosphere and turn it all into plasma and x-rays. And there'd be so much energy released because the ball would be moving so fast, it would incinerate everything around it. But it would cause a chain reaction that would be unstoppable and it would result in a nuclear explosion that would wipe out the entire city. I, I don't have words for that. There's <laughs> <laughs> not a problem I ever that i ever thought of happening oh it's so great oh man there's all kinds of fun stuff in here like what would happen if you go swimming in a swimming pool that has like uranium rods at the bottom 
I thought that would be like terrible. He actually says, no, you'd be perfectly safe. People have done it before. What a comfort. <laughs> so is there any linear progression to this book? Or is no. it just a sampling of of all kinds of possible phenomena? It's just random questions people have asked him to answer as a physicist. Like, okay, let's see if I can find... Okay, um, this is just totally random stuff off of his website that people ask him. So one of them is, if every person on Earth aimed a laser pointer at the moon at the same time, would it change its color, change the moon's color? And uh, the answer is no, de- definitely not. But then he like goes through all the... Anyway, it's the, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. Or the other one is, um, how quickly would the oceans drain if a circular portal 10 meters in radius leading into space was created at the bottom of the deepest spot in the ocean? Basically, it would take forever for the oceans to drain because there's a lot of water in them. And I forget how long. He says how long it would take to actually drain the oceans. You know, evaporation is probably a greater concern than the oceans draining through a 10-foot hole. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. It's been a pure delight. You really should read it sometime. If anything, just for the cartoons, because they're hilarious. Um, definitely pick this up. It's um, Bill Gates, actually, is a big, big reader, and he has his little YouTube like book club thing. Um, check it out, by the way, if you're interested in, in his reading list. And he listed this one as, I think, his favorite or his or the most delightful book of 2018 or something like that. So that's Okay, so it was written just this year, or last uh, year, I should say. Something like that. Let's see. Oh, no, 2014, so it's a little older. Okay. Yeah. Still relevant, though. Relevant, relevant now, as it was then. <laughs> anyway, very uh, very uh, lighthearted, random book. But I love science. I love learning how things work. And even absurd questions always have really interesting scientific answers. And he's made the world a better place through addressing these impossible questions. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So now that we're talking like lighthearted, funny, pointless books. Um, so what, what book do you have, Jaren? The book that I will be talking about is Lilith by George MacDonald. And in contrast to the book that Reagan spoke of, this is a very, very old book. It was written in the 19th century, I believe. Do you know when? It was first published in 1895, so a bit more than uh, 100 years ago. And it was actually towards the end of George MacDonald's life. Ten years after he published that book, George MacDonald died. Uh, MacDonald lived from 1824 to 1905. Uh, Well before J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis lived, but he was a huge influence upon them. C.S. Lewis called George MacDonald his master, and after he began reading one of um, McDonald's books for the first time. He said he knew that he had crossed a great frontier. And so if you are familiar with um, C.S. Lewis's books, I'm thinking especially of the Chronicles of Narnia, you will notice um, kind of foreshadowing of those books within Lilith. So the title of Lilith is has a very interesting origin. Lilith was a concept from Hebrew mythology, actually a character from Hebrew mythology, and Lilith was believed to be Adam's first wife before Eve came around. And so, I'm not going to get into all of that here, but it's a fascinating story about the way God first made Adam and Lilith, not Adam and Eve. If you care about the biblical narrative, you're going <laughs> to definitely see a problem with the story of Lilith being Adam's first wife. But it is a fascinating concept, and it is um, kind of what MacDonald bases his narrative upon within his book, Call Lilith. What happens is there's this guy who crosses into an, another world by stepping through a mirror. 
which you will notice parallels the children in the Chronicles of Narnia stepping into another world. They're going uh, through a wardrobe. But once this guy gets through the mirror, he, he finds a world where things aren't quite the same as things are in this universe. He finds Adam, who is um, a personified raven, and he finds um, Lilith in this other universe, who is one of the most evil, rebellious, anti-God characters ever. Throughout the story, God pursues Lilith, perhaps overlapping at times with Satan. God pursues his character through his love and eventually brings her to repentance through a sort of purgatory or a fiery worm of course alluding to jesus words about where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched so god uses this very hell-like treatment upon the evil lilith to bring her to the point of surrender and repentance which raises all kinds of questions george mcdonald was a universalist and so of course the concept would bring even the evilest most rebellious creature back to repentance into relationship with god is a universalist concept uh, we would say, well, if God is bringing Satan to repentance, of course he will bring all the rest of us to repentance too eventually, and all will be saved and redeemed. I think I probably have a problem with that theology, but it is a beautiful image of the way God's love can possibly work, and the way that God's love will pursue people. So in this book, is Lilith a human, or is she, or does, is she like Satan or something? Or Okay, so, okay, so like I mentioned the raven, who is Adam. Occasionally, Adam shows up as a man, but he also shows up as a raven, and he switches back and forth between those. Lilith is a woman at times, at times she is a leopard, and at times she is Satan. And so, Lilith is one character with several expressions. Mm-hmm. Satan, a woman, and a leopard. Whoa. And definitely a, this book is in the realm of fantasy. Yes, definitely yeah, okay. fantasy. <laughs> Whoa, that's, that's really interesting. I've never read it. Um... But I've heard it's like kind of dark, but really profound, really makes you think that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, McDonald was a universalist, so I'm guessing some of that's coming through. And I think he just loved writing a good fantasy novel, too. But it is kind yeah. of it is kind of dark. But the overwhelming takeaway for me was re-envisioning God's love and the way that I may be able to interact with God's love. That is ultimately what the book is about. And that, yeah, now that, that, wow, that's powerful. Do you recommend it? I would recommend it to, okay, who, here's who I would not recommend it to. If you have trouble with gullibility, do not read it. <laughs> I would hate for you to read this book and believe everything that you hear. If, if some dark images would be disturbing to you, perhaps this book is not for you. If you read widely, though, if you understand how to accept the good and spit out the bad, I believe would you definitely do a person more good than harm so yes i would recommend it i would not recommend it to absolutely everybody that makes sense yeah wow now now i am in do you own a copy maybe i should borrow it i do own a copy but i got it from amazon create space and somebody thought it would be a good idea to publish the book with about size seven font so (laughs) i do have a copy but i've never actually read it i've read the ebook Uh, okay well i'm not gonna borrow it then (laughs) now of course of course the appeal um to me with this book is theological Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also it's partially theologically troubling um and here's why lilith did not want to repent in this book but she did she did not want to surrender to god 
But she ultimately did, and it was because God made her repent and God made her surrender. Forced her, or yeah, yeah I would say it was um, coercive, coercive mm. repentance. It all turns out good and happy because her repentance and surrender to God was in the best interest of everybody. But the process mm. was very ugly, in which God drags her kicking and screaming into surrender. Wow, that's not really what you see personified in the, in Jesus. It's not like no. he just dragged people and said, like, you got to repent. Like, he let people decide, you know? Not really, but um, I think Calvinism, mm-hmm. Calvin's doctrines, or what we would call irresistible grace, is something we're much more used to hearing about. But I have to ask, how far different is this sort of universalism, in which God demands everybody will surrender and repent, from ideas of predestination and irresistible grace, in which God ultimately has his way, but he demands some will be saved, but also through his sovereignty, insists that some will not be saved. Whoa. So in, in both, yeah, I've never thought of that before. In both images, God gets his way, and human will is not a factor in the ultimate outcome of a person and the destiny. Personally, I would see McDonald's universalism and coercion as a more appealing theology than hardcore predestination and irresistible grace. And of course what what feels good to me is no determiner of what's actually true. Right. But but I I've, I've never thought of that before that those two are actually directly I don't know about denying or or putting to the side human free will and you know, all of that. I I've, I've never thought of universalism and put it in the, that same camp as the irresistible grace theology that actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, universalism by George McDonald's definition and irresistible grace is very similar. It's just in one mm-hmm. in one model, God wants everybody to be saved, and the other model, God does not. That that pretty much sums it right up. <laughs> yeah. But that that was wow. a bit tan- that was a bit tangential. Sure, sure. I mean, we we were chasing the chasing the bunny trail there, but that really makes me think now. Still trying to wrap my mind around where how that thinking all works with what we see in scripture and the world as we know it. So I, I can I can see that my reading choices um, might be a little more lighthearted sometimes than yours. <laughs> uh, but this has been very good. That that's wow. It's encouraging me to to read outside of the genres that I sometimes choose. Um, Lilith would fall into one of those, and so maybe you know maybe I should consider it. Um, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, and the book that you spoke about is outside of what I normally read, but I think I should read it. It, w- it would do me good. Could you remind me again of what it's called and na- the name of the author? Honestly, okay, Jared. Like, seriously, if there's a book that has a cover with a T-Rex being lowered into a black hole, I mean, you just have to read that. It's becoming obvious to me that that is the case. Yes. It's a, just for the seriously, everybody Google the cover. It, it's, it just looks so hilariously outlandish. The name is called What If? Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions. The author is Randall Monroe. And what was your book again? My book was Lilith by George MacDonald. Okay, a classic. Definitely a classic. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast again. And as always, we want your feedback. And if you give us feedback, we may be more encouraged to make more of these episodes in the future. <laughs> yes. And oh, and maybe follow us on Twitter and let us know what you think, because that would be fun. Just both of our names, Jerry Miller and Megan Trust. All right. We will see you later. Yeah.